still going strong 70 episodes in episode 70 with the can-am legend mickey fox is brought to you by our friends at parkside brewery and good lad clothing flashback to episode 16 with jeff Gurley. you've had ian on and uh when the nationals were here a few years ago there was a highlight reel up and uh yeah showing the uvic um saint mary's game and ian was walking by and he goes oh there there i am holding fox to 36 (laughs) (laughs) ian Hydelay is looking forward to hearing this episode because he claims that you just lit him up in the final against uvic he played for uvic (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> I think he was just a young kid. I was an old veteran at the time, so tell Ian, uh, don't take it too bad. All right, all right. I, I, I keep in touch with Ken Shields quite a bit. Nice. And, uh, we always have a little laugh because I tell him when I played in the Nationals against him, it was like a hot knife going through butter. I said, his yeah. defense was so mad, and that steam just comes out of his ears. Oh, I could only imagine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoops Journey, episode number 70. Super excited to have this uh, this man with us today. Some say not only one of the best uh, CIU, CISU sport players of all time, but have heard the name Mickey Fox been brought up as possibly the best ever. Two national titles, almost 40 in each of those final games, a four-time All-Canadian, a great story all the way from New York, which I'm, you know, we really want to know more about. And we're super thankful. Finally, knowing Jeff Gurley pays off for someone because uh, he doesn't really offer much more than a connection to this man. And we're super excited to have Mickey Fox with us tonight. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, asking me to be a part of this. This is great. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, talking offline, we've had Coach Shields on and, and a couple other, you know, UVic alum and, and Jeff, Jeff Gurley himself. And, uh I don't know if you know the name Kevin Keeler. He's around my vintage in his 40s. And when I mentioned he played at uh, SMU and then had his, had his way out to UBC, and when I mentioned that we were getting you on, his eyes lit up like he was like, that was one of my childhood heroes, you know? So, you know, lots of different connections through the game. Yeah, it is. It's funny. And, you know, that's the great thing about basketball is that the connections, whether you're from Vancouver to England, over to Australia to New York, to, you know, this it's it's just a community right Mm -hmm. and uh doesn't matter how old continue to to flourish it's a great great avenue true and you mentioned you mentioned new york right there let's get into it tell us about yourself as a young guy and um, kind of your upbringing, where you grew up, and uh, and what basketball or how basketball kind of was drawn to you. Well, I was uh, I grew up in New York City, uh, which proud uh, to say that I am a Can Am, a Canadian American citizen, and couldn't be happier. Just growing up, uh, played uh, I guess baseball was my first love, and uh, played a lot of baseball. Grew up in the schoolyard community, as they say, and. Uh, Basically lived in a schoolyard where you played baseball, basketball, football, stickball, handball, you name it. And uh, anything with a ball, and I was very interested in. Uh, didn't really take the basketball until probably my freshman or sophomore, which would have been grade 9 or 10. Played basketball, but again, my first love was baseball. And uh, uh, I'm 68 years old now, and I play in a seniors league here. And uh, 
I wind up playing about 50 to 60 games a year. I'm a pitcher and an outfielder. Our baseball, not hardball, baseball. Oh, my goodness. Balls and strikes. We uh, we have a team that goes down to Roy Hobbs and Fort Myers every year. And uh, last year, obviously, with the pandemic, we didn't get down. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've probably played about 40 games this year and hope to hit the 50 level here down in good old Nova Scotia, which has a great baseball tradition. Uh, this is uh, amazing. So anyway, so baseball was my love. And uh, uh, I, I, I when I hit probably age 14 or 15, I started getting the uh, love for basketball as well. And uh, that, that was it. I was hooked. And then it was you know, eight hours a day, every day down the schoolyard, just shooting hoops and uh, trying to find some good competition and playing around. So I went on to high school and uh, didn't play much because the guys are a little bit better than me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had a decent high school baseball career. <laughs> and basketball, I, I didn't really play much until my last year, my senior year. Uh, I went to a school called St. John's Prep, which was affiliated at the time with St. John's University. But it was in somewhat of a bad neighborhood down in Bedford Stuyvesant, where you wouldn't want to be. Uh, it's uh, you, wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't want to be hanging out there too often. And the university moved moved into Queens, Bedford Stuyvesant, in Brooklyn, and they kept the high school there, but the university moved, and the high school just deteriorated and worked worse and worse. And so again, my senior year, I guess, would have been grade twelve, is when I started to get some playing time started and scored some points. And the funny part of the story was uh, I had my best game of my career in high school and my only game where I ever scored 20 points. And it was against a school called Bishop Lachlan. And uh, Bishop Lachlan was coached by a guy by the name of Brian Heaney, who had played at Acadia, more bullets in the NBA. And he remembered that game. And again, it was the only game I ever scored 20 points in high school. And Probably about two months later, I got a call from him saying, uh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm playing baseball right now, and I'm trying to get down to St. Leo's in Florida to kind of play on a baseball-basketball scholarship. Uh, but that was that was really iffy. Anyway, he called me about two weeks later. He said, how'd it go? I said, I don't know. I'm looking for a school. Mm-hmm. And he said he got a, he just got hired as uh, the coach at St. Mary's University. And I said, Okay. I said, where's that? He said, in Halifax. I said, where's that? In Nova Scotia. And I said, where's that? that? In Canada. He said, I'm gone. I'm there. So uh, the rest was history. I I went up there. He gave me the opportunity and uh, it was a great start, you know, a great, great start. And uh, uh, geez, I got to do the math. I was a grade five teacher too. I've been here for uh, 40, 46 years now and uh, never looked back. It's just been an unbelievable experience. That's cool. Now you got to be well. First of all, Yankees over Mets, right? Or your oh, Yankees? Not, yeah. not even close. Yeah. Okay. Don't, we don't right. even. Okay, just making sure. Just making sure. I've been to two World Series games and they were Mets. So, but I've never made it to a Yankee World Series yet. But uh, uh, yeah, no Yankees. I was okay. named after Mickey Mantle. So there you go. Uh, all right. There you go. So right. yeah, Yankees all there. the way. Okay. Now that we got that out of the way, you're welcome for Anthony Rizzo, by the way. I'm a Cubs fan, and we did uh, <laughs> we did the sweepstakes. We cleared out our whole roster for some reason and thought we'd just put ourselves 10 years back again, which is great. So, yeah, you yeah. Know, we're right back to the Cubs of old. Um, but that's a Listen, whole nother, you, you, yeah. you got your World Series. I know. I know. We can't get too picky, hey, right? You got, you got, you got, we got our one, picky. right? And I'm supposed to just be satisfied with that, <laughs> hey? Yeah, okay, great. Ernie Banks is happy. Yeah. So – 
you're trying to, you're sandbagging me a, mi- a bit. Like you, you hardly played like the, you, this was your only choice. Like your, your senior year in basketball, you're telling me there wasn't much happening. Is that, is that really what you're trying to tell me right no, now? It's a true story. Yeah. Uh, I, I made my freshman team, which was grade nine, didn't play uh, my sophomore year, which was grade 10. I uh, was on the junior varsity and I played one game and scored 20 points. And the coach brought me up to varsity, never mm-hmm. played that year. Uh, and then my junior year, grade 11, never played. And it wasn't until my grade 12 year that I got an opportunity to play. We had two kids on my, my high school team uh, that were, one was in McDonald's All-American and the other, one went to Boston College, the other went to Florida State. So these guys were great players. And I just kind of, you know, just floated along with them. So it was uh, it was great for me. I got to play against these guys every day and high school, but never got the game experience. And and that's what I lacked more than anything when I got to St. Mary's and then for a chance to, to play, you know, against decent competition and play every day and be a starter. It just worked out well. For yeah. me. So how, how does it come to, I mean, you talked about how you ended up there, but you're sitting there born and raised in New York. Sounds like maybe you never really left New York very often. What was it inside of you that made you confident enough to make that leap and just go for it? Um, you did, was it just an opportunity? You know, like how did you go about that decision at such a young age? Well, I, I, I wanted to, I, I knew at that time and believe it or not, basketball became my first love then. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted, I wanted to play basketball and nobody, and I remember Bentley college wrote me a letter and I was really excited and uh, I, I talked to him a little bit and then I got a letter back and I got cut by mail. I said, so I, I really didn't, it was, it wasn't that I uh, was jumping out of my shoes to come to Canada. It just it was the only opportunity that presented itself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a chance to play basketball and uh, I'd play anywhere. You know, when we were in New York growing up, we'd hop in cars or on buses and just travel around the city looking for games. So it wasn't a big, uh, big thing to do to me. It was an opportunity to get a chance to play basketball and I jumped on it. Yeah. You know, we've had a lot of great people on the show and um, it's funny. A lot of things have to do with timing too. Like a guy, like a name, like a Brian Heaney. That's just not, that's not just the average name in Canada basketball, right? Like that's yeah. one of the most well-known names got hired as an announcer in the NBA. Like it, yeah. ne- never mind what he accomplished. Like he just happens to come across you. It's just funny how those little things happen that change people's lives, you know? Yeah. You, and you just never know. And I, the, 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 the thing that, kind of irritated me a little bit was when, when after my first year at St. Mary's and we finished and, and the good thing was school was out in April. I was in the United States. They, they'd go to the end of May. So I would be home and uh, I would go to the parks and play and I'd see all these guys and a lot of the guys I played against or played with. And these guys were, Oh, where did you go to school? I said, St. Mary's and they can, and they'd start, you know, kind of mocking and laughing at me. And uh, these guys were from Boston college and St. John's and Duke and Villanova and all these. And, uh, you know, they, they, they'd mock me. And then as the summers, each summer went on, I started, it was fun because I was getting better and better. And I said, you play where Duke, you know, and, you know, we talked some trash and go on like that so that was pretty funny at times too yeah we've had uh, steve kinchelski from saint of x on the show as well right and you know talked a lot about that and kind of just breaking that stereotype that you know just because you're in canada doesn't mean you can't play hoops and before we just get into those saint mary's years like talk about the culture like one thing steve talked about was always you know sneaking into the garden or getting an opportunity to see as many games as he could i think just what a unique experience and way to grow up um, in the heart of New York. I mean, 
like I could only imagine what it was like being a kid who was interested in sports. It must have been just a dream every day. I mean, you know, obviously you've talked about some neighborhoods and some places you don't want to go, but in terms of the athletes and the guys you get to see and play against, unreal. Uh, and, and, and saying the neighborhoods that you didn't want to go to, it was funny, you went to those neighborhoods and, and there was respect. Uh, you were a little bit shy and uh, you watched your P's and Q's, but you proved yourself on the court. Yeah. And 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 if you did, then there was no problems. You know, if he was mouthy and couldn't play or something, there might be some trouble. But yeah, New York was great. I mean, two great, two of the fondest memories I ever remember is I went into the seventh game of the uh, when the Knicks played the Lakers for the NBA title in Madison Square Gardens. Three of my buddies slept over uh, overnight outside to get tickets, and, and they got tickets, and they had tickets for the whole series. And they didn't want one guy didn't want to go to the seventh game, and I got his ticket. And <laughs> we were in the last row in Madison Square Gardens. You needed you needed power binoculars to see the game, but of yeah. course we just kept working our way down. And when the game ended, we were on the court, and I remember running on the court, and I remember running by Will Chamberlain. He had the headband on at the time. I remember trying to jump up and grab his headband, and all I remember is a forearm just coming out and just drilling me, and I didn't move. <laughs> but yeah, it was it, you know the, the the opportunities. You know, I can remember going to the Garden and watching uh, Digger Phelps Notre Dame play against Fordham in 1970, and uh, they had Dean Memminger was playing with Marquette, and he Dean and the Dream Memminger. Yeah, Dean the Dream. I, I played and, for Jerry and, Hemmings at Brandon, yeah, and he would yeah. always talk about Dean Meminger. He would always he talk a, about this guy. He was a playground legend, and obviously he was a first-round pick at the Knicks, and he was a great player at Marquette. Didn't develop into a superstar in the NBA, but he was playing against Fordham, who was coached by Digger Phelps, and Fordham didn't have a guy over six foot five starting in the lineup, but they had Charlie Yovelton who was Dean Memmage's high school teammate at Rice, and they were both six foot one, six foot two, both first-round draft picks the following year. But the garden was electrified. It was 19,000 people, and at that time, Jesus Christ Superstar was playing on, on Broadway. Yeah. And, you know, the newspapers were Al McGuire and Marquette versus Digger Phelps and Fordham, you know, the Goliath story. And I remember the opening tip. And uh, they threw the ball up, and Jim Jones, who played about nine years, was the starting in the NBA, was the starting center for uh, Marquette. And Charlie White stole the tip. He could be six foot two, and Charlie White tipped it to his teammate. And like it, the game went on, like it was unbelievable. And they all game long they were playing Charlie White Superstar to the beat of Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Fordham wound up winning the game in one of the greatest games ever. And I remember late in the game, in those days, we weren't allowed to dunk. And Jim Jones got the ball on a fast break and went, you know, 6'11", the right, laid it off the glass. And Yovelton, who's 6'2", takes it two hands and throws it into the crowd. It was goaltending, but yeah. they weren't going to call on Fordham in Madison Square Gardens. And, you know, experiences like that were was something that, you know, stuck with me forever. And the love of the game and basketball just grew and grew and grew. You know, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, how how are you not on the playground the next morning imagining oh, that's you, right? Next morning, that night, we went yeah. home. And you, you, we used to shimmy up the pole, turn the light so that we could see on the playground, and we'd play until 1, 2 in the morning. Love Wanted it. to be Charlie Wise Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Amazing.
right. So you get all the way up, you know, St. Mary's, you look around, do you think, I mean, you, you went sight on scene, right? You never, never had been no idea. Just sight on scene. this major way up there and went for it. We, uh, we got picked up. It's, it's, it's a funny story too, because one of the reasons, uh, one of the persons that recruited me to St. Mary's after I, I talked to Brian Heaney and that was Steve Kinchowski. He showed up in my house, picked me up in a Volkswagen bug and took me out to play. And uh, we played some three-on-three and stuff. And uh, I tell the story often. He wasn't very good. He didn't have a very good game. And uh, I don't think he hit many shots the whole time. And he told me that he was the MVP of the Nationals in 1965 for Acadia University. And I said to myself, if this guy's the MVP in, in Canada, that's where I'm heading. So, <laughs> and I laugh because uh, Steve and I are, are good friends. I, I, I saw him about two weeks ago. So it's it's pretty funny. But Steve and, and Brian Heaney obviously played together at Acadia. So that was kind of the recruiting spiel. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah, sight unseen into St. Mary's. Uh, got picked up by the airport by Coach Heaney. First thing he did, obviously, was throw us right to the gym. Got out of the wasn't feeling very good. I had been out the night before with a few friends to say goodbye. And yeah, took us into a gym, and it looked like one of the CYO gyms I played in 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 uh, grade eight, nine, and ten. A dirty yeah. old beat up church basement gym, and this was our home court. He said, "No, this isn't our home court. We just play some games here. We play in the old Halifax Forum." Mm-hmm. I said, "Good," because it was a it was in the bottom of the church basement. But that was my first first experience of moving into Halifax. <laughs> and just straight onto campus, did you know what you want to do school wise, or were you? Uh, uh, yeah, I wanted to get enough credits to pass every year to play basketball. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're uh, taking a basketball. I was on the five degree. year plan. It took me five years to graduate, and again, I I wasn't a great student. I'm not going to lie, and it was only because I didn't apply myself and. Uh, but after five years, I got my degree, and then I went on. I got my education degree, and I wound up teaching for thirty years up here, and, and, and loved every minute of it. So it, you know, things things couldn't have gone any better. Actually, yeah, good for you. I was reading. I'm reading, but I want to talk about that. I'm, I'm a high school teacher as well, so I'd like to get into more of that. But yeah, no, I, I taught grade five. I wasn't smart enough. Oh to my teach goodness! Higher grade five, and you still live to tell it. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. Good for you. Talk about that first year at St. Mary's, the group of guys that you're with, how things roll. People can look you up. And and I know, you know, a lot of people in the show don't like to talk numbers and things. But when you see, you know, 32 in a national semifinal, 39 in another final, 37 in another final against UVic. Shout out to all our Victoria listeners. We have a big (laughs) UVic contingent. We've had Phil Ole, we've had Ken Shields on the show, you know, so they, you know, when I told hides that uh, mickey fox was going to be on the show his face lit up is almost like he envisioned trying to guard you and hold you to under 40 so there were yeah well i i don't see a lot of them but i i keep in touch with i, I maybe every three or four years i'll see joe kazanowski and yeah, we you know Kaz on. yeah yeah you know some some good guys and, and unfortunate or for those guys I, I felt bad because i'll jump a little bit ahead because my my fifth year yeah, I had played four years, and then uh, I wanted to stay in Halifax, but I couldn't. They were, they, I was, immigration was kicking me out. So I went back, and I went over to Europe, and I played a little bit there. And then what had happened was the five-year rule came into into the AUS. It had never been there. So I had been out of oh. university for two years. I saw that. So there's a yeah. two-year gap. Was, yeah, okay, interesting. I, so was I it only been, a four-year at that point? Yeah, it was only oh, four years in Halifax. Oh. So when I graduated, 
uh, my last year I got drafted by the Pistons. I went to the, the rookie camp and then on with, with the Pistons. And after I got cut, I wound up going over to Europe, playing a little bit over there. And, and my girlfriend, who is now my lovely wife, Brenda, I just got homesick and came back to Halifax, but I wasn't really allowed to be in the country only as a visitor. So traveling back and forth and doing whatever I can. And then uh, the year afterwards, they passed the five-year rule in in the AUS. So first call, he gave me a call and said, Nick, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get into this country. And he said, well, why don't you come back as a student? And I jumped all over it. So we had that year, and I know Brandon people, and I know Vic people, and I know Carlton people are going to going to dispute this but uh, for all of my victoria friends and all my other friends is <clears throat> i thought my fifth year my team that i played with was probably one of the best teams ever to play in canada and we had uh myself and a guy by the name of kevin wood who had played four years down at a, a division three school he was the mvp the us year we had a guy by the name of percy davis who played with the mvp the southern cal pro league we had Ross Quackenbush, who was on the national team. We had Tom Capos, who was on the national team. We had Ronnie Blomers and Derek Lewis, who were on the junior national team. So we had and Ricky Plato, who was an unbelievable shooter, and your boy Jeff Gurley. So I'd say we had as good a team ever to play in this country. And we, I think we went, we were probably like 37-2 and two that year. So to all the boys out in Vic, when we went out there and we played, and we they had beat us once. The only loss that we had in Canada up to the date, they had beat us in a in a Manitoba tournament by one point. So when we got to them at the nationals, the, the, it was lights out. We were we weren't losing to them, and we did have you know. Again, I had been to probably two three NBA camps, so you know I I felt a huge advantage in my favor just from the years. And, you know, I, I, I kid Kaz and that and all the time about it. But And, and Ken Shields, when I talk to him, it's just a hot knife through butter. Ken, you weren't going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few years back, they, uh, UBC hosted the Nationals. Right. And at the arena, they had kind of just old reels and loops of former championships and stuff. And I remember, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's something they were high just saying something to the effect of, you know, I worked really hard to just hold them under 40 or something like that, you know, yeah. like very sarcastic, but and it, it I mean, was, that extra experience helps, right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that team was young, you know, the mm-hmm. next year Eli came along and, and, and stuff and Kaz and, 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 and they were solid. They had a uh, Rennie Dulcet too, you know, they were a good team, but we had, again, it was one of the reasons we came back The schedule we had. I remember we went down to the States and uh, if you're talking to Jeff, you can ask him and him and Ricky Plato. You can talk to those guys. We went down the first day and we played uh, Duke in indoor Cameron. Yep. And we were the number one team in the country. And they were the number one team in the country. We went to shoot around at 11 o'clock in the morning. And there was 5,000 people sitting out Cameron yelling at us because it was their opening game and our opening game. So we went down and played there. And then we came, when we came out at 7 o'clock for our warm-up, the place was packed, and they just nonstop. Jeff Gorley, his eyes were about as big as my head. He just couldn't believe it. Ricky Plato didn't want to leave the court, and it was. And we wound up. We lost them. They beat us good, we, uh, but we lost them by probably about eighteen. But it was never in doubt. They just hammered us. They had four NBA players: Jim Spinarco and Mike Kaminsky and Eugene Banks. They were, and I had a terrible game. I didn't play well. But the next night we played Villanova. And uh, we lost to him by one point because 
Tom Capos dribbled the ball off his foot instead of passing to me. I tell him all the time, I would have hit the shot. We would have beat Villanova. And then the <laughs> next night, we played St. Joe's in the Palestra, and we wound up, I hit a jump shot three seconds ago to beat St. Joe's. And the following night, we played Fairfield, and, and they beat us pretty good. But we played four games and five nights against it. So going into the CIS and everything, people were saying, were you worried? Were you nervous? No wasn't nervous, a little bit nervous going into Cameron, but not into play at the CIS. You know, we, we were we're a good, experienced veteran team. So Love it. So the, let go back to those first years then. What, you know, and you talked about it. It's intriguing. You know, when you read about you and you hear the stories about you, you just assume that, you know, from 10 years on, you were just dominating basketball everywhere you went. And you've clearly touched on the baseball being your first passion kind of your senior year, you get lucky with a couple of games and you get on the radar of Coach Heaney and get up there. But at what point in that freshman year for you at, at St. Mary's, do you realize, okay, like I, I belong here and I, this is, I know I can compete or did you know right away? And it was just a matter of where that fit in. I'm just intrigued for when that light clicked on. Cause it sounds to me like it hadn't, it hadn't clicked yet. Is that fair to assume? It, it, it hadn't. I mean, yeah. uh, it was my first year where, uh, we, we, uh, it was obviously Coach Heaney's first year too. So we didn't have a real good schedule. We didn't travel. We, we went down and played. Our big trip was, uh, Bangor, Maine, uh, in Huston College and, and Fort Kent. I think played two teams down there. So, uh, we didn't, uh, it really wasn't, you know, it was good basketball. I, I certainly wasn't confident. I had a good year as far as scoring, but there was a lot of deficiencies in my game. We had a point guard by the name of John Gallon who, in my eyes, was almost as good as Bobby Hurley. He was wow. he was a New York City kid. He came up as a sophomore, and he just dominated defensively and offensively. He just got me the ball. All I could do was shoot. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't a very good ball handler. I couldn't dribble much with my left hand, but I could shoot it. And uh, I think I led the AUS in scoring that year. And, and at least eight to ten of those points was because of John. You know, mm. so we did, we had a decent team, but. You know, Heaney was uh, not only was he a good coach, but he was a better promoter. And yeah. obviously, to me, and 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 you know, I know other people argue, but that's when basketball started really taking off in this country. Uh, was seventy one, seventy two, and Heaney, before we stepped on the court, with only three returning players in the preseason, we were the number one ranked team in the country. Wow. <laughs> and there's no way in the world we finished third in the U.S. Yeah. We had a, a, a two veterans, and and they could barely walk and chew gum, and the rest of us were rookies. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 hype, and I can remember we played Acadia down at Acadia, mm-hmm. and and Acadia were defending national champs, and we played them down there, and, and Heaney had got the media going and talked to the newspapers and everything. So we go down there. And the and and and, and that, uh, basketball was really big at Acadia. There was twenty two hundred people sold out. The gym mm-hmm. was packed, and we go down there, and we just I went zero for eleven. I didn't score a point. We scored I think twelve points at halftime. Wound <laughs> up getting beat like fifty two to twenty. We just got our tails kicked. And, and and coach was great. You know, he just had a learning experience. We were intimidated maybe i was awful another guy was one for 11 so we just stunk the joint out and that was it there was no playoffs in that yeah but but what happened is we were playing the last game of the year against acadia in the halifax forum yep and we showed up and uh there were five thousand people 
to see a, uh, see a college game in Canada. I'm yeah. sorry, it was 3,500 people. 3,500 people to see a college the game was packed. And we needed to win that game for us just to prove there was, there was no – Katie was going to the Nationals. But what it came down to was Steve Pound, who was a four-time All-Canadian uh, and a great, great college player at Acadia, uh, he, him and I were going for the scoring title. And uh, so people knew that. Anyway, I need to have scoring by 25 po- 23 points, and I win the scoring title. Well, he was averaging 21-something a game, and I was averaging 21-point-something a game. And uh, he had us prepared. And Acadia hadn't lost all year. And we wound up beating Acadia by about eight points. The place went crazy. That got basketball going. But the, the best part about it is John Gallinor held Steve Pound to three points. He was mm-hmm. averaging 21 a game. I scored 25 points, and I won the scoring title. Not because of me, because of John Gallinor. It was one of the greatest. Steve Pound... To this day, and Steve's a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of John. I think he still has nightmares. John just denied him the ball, sat, in, and 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 that was it. And that really set basketball up. The next year, my sophomore year, we got a kid, two kids from Newark, New Jersey. One kid named Lee Thomas, who was arguably as good as anybody playing this country, a six-five center who could leap. And and uh, we, uh, the Acadia basketball rivalry, just took off and mm-hmm. you know we you couldn't get a ticket to an Acadia St. Mary's game and I remember that year Heaney got us into the Naismith and of course he started talking and and and, and the Ontario people hated us and Heaney mm-hmm. just added fuel to the fire but we wound up going to the Naismith and played Waterloo in the championship game in I'm going to say it's early November sometime when that was again remember and they had a guy by the name of Mike Mosier who was a fabulous player. Unfortunately, he passed away a year later, but this kid was unbelievable. Him and Lee Thomas just matched up. We played a game in front of 5,000 people, and it was, I think we wound up winning the Naismith by one point. I had like 38, Lee had 25, Mike Moj had 36, and it was it was unbelievable. But that set the, the, the trend for, for basketball, and obviously that year, that same year, the Nationals were held in Waterloo. So when we came back and we won our first national championship, there were 5,000 people that it, it almost seemed louder than I think about it than Duke Indoor Stadium, Cameron Indoor Stadium, because they just hated us. And yeah. nine of the uh, 11 players were Americans. So, of course, that didn't help anything either. And and, and it was it, between that Acadia game at the Forum and that game we played in uh, Ontario, to me, that really sets a stage for basketball, and you could watch the growth as it, you know, as it started to take off in this country. And that's been a fun thing that you're talking about for us, you know, doing the show, being, you know, kind of grew up in the West Coast my whole life, then made it out to Brandon. And then just starting to get to know more about the East Coast and the basketball scene that way, right? And especially when you talk about places like Halifax, like this, you know, quote unquote, smaller communities, but the pride and the rivalries and the way that the support, like the fans and everything, it's been so cool to just learn so much about it and all that history. And I think one thing too is having the Americans start to come up like yourself, it put pressure on the Canadians to like, hey, we got to step our game up here. Like we need to get a better product. We need to compete. And and 
figure this out. So I wouldn't argue that that your era was the t- time where, you know, kind of made CIS basketball because I've gone into the YouTube archives. I've seen the the UVic final, I believe, was at Waterloo as well. And that crowd is like, they might as well be in the timeout for God's sake. Like it's great. It's crazy. Those crowds are crazy. And then having the opportunity to play at the Metro center, we played St. of X in the national final, you know, like 9,000 people. It's like, it's a whole different experience. Right. And and I think that's, that's super cool what you're touching on and loving to hear the names and the stories. Um, After, you know, you, you get that national championship. um, What next? How does the program keep rolling? Like, uh, you know, I love, and you know, Coach Heaney, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show as well. I know you've got a lot to share. I know, I know it's not really your jam, but you know, maybe yeah. having Mickey, I know Gurley doesn't have as much influence. Maybe having well, Mr. Fox. Tell, will, tell Jeff to keep bothering Coach Heaney. He, he will. He, if he knows I'm on and he'll want to, he'll want to debate some of these things, but yeah, <laughs> he's, he, he's a fabulous, uh, and he's a fabulous speaker and his knowledge of the game is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I listened to Steve too, Kinshowski, but yeah, it was, uh, the, the the influence the Americans had uh, w- was huge, and but you you touched on it, and certainly true. I can remember a kid by the name of Jimmy Collins, who was a Halifax kid who just loved basketball. And he was an average player at best. He was like a Jeff Gurley. He wouldn't leave me alone. Mm. I bet you I played five thousand games of one on one with this kid because he just wanted to get better, and I I would beat him like a rented mule. I would spot him ten points and beat him. 11 10 you know and we'd go on and on and each day and after a while i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't play him unless we would bet something you know like an apple juice or something like that but nobody worked harder nobody loved the game more than this kid he went out and he played for a calgary team senior ball and they won a national championship and he was their starting point guard in the senior league so yeah the canadians i think benefited but they they, they were always good i just think don't think they believed they had the confidence and as basketball got bigger and bigger across the country uh you know we always knew that ubc british columbia i should say basketball was good yeah. ontario was okay but the, the best was in the maritimes and then everybody started catching on and, and loving the game and getting better and better at it you know yeah so, yeah how how big of an impact do you feel like coachini had on you and your development i mean you touched on just a little bit but just for him being such a young coach as well, it must have been an interesting relationship. Is almost did it feel like you were kind of growing together, or? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think the biggest thing was well, I, when I landed here, I was eighteen. He was twenty-four. You know, and and, and he had just played and he had two years out of the NBA, right? So yeah. uh, he was uh, he was oh, certainly. And what, what I think the biggest thing was he believed in me. I don't think I believed in myself at that mm. time. You know, I just think I was that good a player, but he did, and he gave me the confidence. And he gave me the green light, you know, like shoot the basketball because that's what you do best, you know. So he was a huge influence on me and uh, to so many players that, that that he coached. And he was, you know, he's to this day, I still believe him. And guys like Ken Shields uh, are some of the reasons why basketball is as good as they, they were, you know. And even going back, got to give a little credit to a guy by the name of Stu Aberdeen down in Acadia who really got it going and got the Kinshalskis and Heaney's up here as well. I know that the Windsor, Nova Scotia and the place in Ontario claim to be the birthplace of hockey. You know, they fight back and forth about where the first hockey game was going. And I follow that in Nova Scotia Sports Hall of Fame and everything. And I'm not going to say that basketball is the birth in Nova Scotia is the birthplace, but it certainly is where it took off, you know, and, you know, 
my first two years, nobody was drawing crowds like, you know, we were doing here in Halifax, two and 3,000 people. And, and again, the Halifax Forum and, and Acadia University, you couldn't get a ticket. You, you, had to, you had to be either the president's daughter or someone to get into a game because you weren't getting in if you didn't have a ticket. Well, and there's a reason that it's stuck around at the Metro Center for so long before they even considered moving it, right? It was because yeah. it was such a good product. It was so well followed. The support of the community was unbelievable. It didn't matter who was playing. They, were, they, would, they would come out, right? And if you yeah. got lucky and you were able to play against you know, one of the teams, like we played St. Mary's and X in the two out of the three games. It was awesome, right? We had two yeah. packed games. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't, you can't go any better than that. So, you know, I, I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll have a round table. We'll have a hoop journey <laughs> round table. We'll get some, we'll get some people from middle Canada. We'll get some West yeah. coasters and we'll sit down and chop it up and figure out where it came from. But I think all the things you're saying make sense. Well, they're all like, again, when, when I first came here to me, the, the hotbed, Kind of was BC. That's where all the great, you know, the national team players were and stuff like that. And as yeah. you got a little bit old, like you look at little places like Manitoba, Martin Riley and and and, and Ricky and those guys there, you know. And then you even moved to Ontario, and you think of the, the Bob Shops and all the guys there. So there were hot pockets, certain areas, you know. I remember when Leo Routon was just a kid, and uh, my brother lived in Syracuse, and I used to I I'd go visit him and Leo. You know, before he got there, 16, 17, I was hearing because Russ Quackenbush played him. I, I used to go to Ontario looking for him because I wanted a piece of Leo. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would go to – I heard he was down there. But, you know, him and his brother George, who I played against, was a great player too. So there were little pockets around that these, you know, guys started playing and getting more and more. Like, I think the place was St. Mike's. So I was there once where – all the great players that maybe weren't CIS players, but just schoolyard players used to go. And, and George Brown uh, College was another place where I got to once or twice. That it reminded me of being back in Bedford-Stuy, the competition, you better bring your A game. And if you're going to talk some trash, you were going to lucky to get out of there alive if you weren't very good, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's get into the kind of this. That's such a unique thing. I didn't realize, you know, looking up, I was like, why is there this two-year gap? Talk about going overseas and then coming back like how how was it going overseas how did you go about that at that era right i mean you, you know it, it someone was, make a uh, few calls for you how did you end yeah, up over no, there it was just a matter of uh after i graduated in april uh the draft wasn't until the end of june and yeah. uh coach Heaney had set it up with a guy by the name of rick eaton who, who played at acadia he was the mvp of the nationals before my first year when i think acadia beat ubc for the national title and he was over in Belgium. So I went over to see him and I was going to live with him and, 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 and you, you, what they call it, it's a friendly season. So you go and you play and you basically try out. And that's what I did. Unfortunately, Rick went over there, met a girl and kind of hooked up with his, his future wife, but he also sprained his ankle. So he was basically out of commission. So I just traveled through Belgium looking for teams and playing. It was like I was back in the schoolyard. I hit as a game here. And so I was over there for about six weeks and, and, and enjoyed it, had a good time, but it wasn't for me, the culture, the language, and obviously missed my girlfriend, our wife, Brenda, and that was a big issue. And I came back. And uh, so Europe didn't excite me. There was nothing uh, that, you know, I, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't a traveler in the sense that, oh, what a beautiful country. I just wanted to play basketball. And uh, the basketball was okay. I didn't think it was outstanding. It was, it was good, but it was, it was the language and, and, the, and the culture barrier was just too big for me. So came back and, uh, and I wound up getting drafted by Detroit that year. 
went to went to went down there for training camp and everything like that. And then after I got cut, I got hooked up uh, with the Nets and Kevin Lockery. So I was in the ABA trying to make that. And then when that fell through, I uh, I came back to school and and I started my education degree at St. Mm. Mary's. Mm-hmm. How was that NBA training camp? Like, were you overwhelmed? Did you did you have some good days? Is it like Ed, Kaz talked it about was, it a bit too, right? He talked yeah. about how once he got there, it was like the NBA didn't feel like as big of a deal as maybe it would be nowadays. You know, like he kind of was just sort of very, I don't want to say ho-hum about it because obviously it's still the NBA, but it was just a different, it was a different time then, you know? Yeah, it, it was. And uh, it was a, it was a dogfight. It was, uh, you know, Detroit camp was brutal because there were 30 of us all, you know, and guys were playing for, I signed my contract for $25,000. I got a hundred dollars signing bonus. <laughs> so, uh, it was it was uh, it was tough, and yeah. uh, I wasn't ready for it because uh, after playing four years in Canada, I didn't play the you know the, the best way for me to describe it is I don't know if you've seen a Carlton practice. Yep. And when with Dave Smart, well, they go every day to war, you know, and and not to St. Mary's, we didn't practice hard, but we didn't have you know twelve great athletes battling everything like that, so. Uh, you know, we played game competition and that was good, but the day-to-day practices weren't. So when I got to the NBA camp, it was all out war. And I really hadn't experienced that for like two weeks in a row, every single day, twice a day. So by the end of it, I, it was an eye opener for me, you know, and I had played against NBA players in New York over the summertime and everything, but it was always pickup games, you know, which, yeah. you know, the last three points were intense, but the first six where, you know, okay, yeah, you got lucky, buddy, or whatever, you know. So the NBA camp was, my first one was war. And then when I went to the ABA camp, I played really well there and made it down to the final 15 with, you know, played against Billy Pauls was there and, and Dr. J and all these guys. And I felt a lot more confident, you know, just mm-hmm. from had gone to the camp. And although I didn't even, you know, and, and Coach Lockery, who played with Brian Heaney on the Bullets, he came up to me and said, Mick, you know, I like your game, but we've got a full roster and, you know, we're, we're, there's not a spot here for you. And I said, Coach, thanks a lot. He said, maybe Utah is looking for a shooter. And I said, no, nah, I think I'm going to go back to Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that's what I wound up doing. Yeah. Uh, Dr. J, <laughs> you can't just drop Dr. J and have us move on to, to uh, education and teaching. Yeah. A- any sort of experience there? Cool story. Uh, I, I got dunked on a few times. Yeah, uh, I was glad I wasn't guarding him, but fast breaks. He was like uh, a badge of honor, pretty, I'd say, more than he anything. Was, he was pretty special. He was, uh, when he walked into the gym, everyone else froze. My high school coach, who, who's a very nice man, but wasn't much of a basketball coach, when they closed the high school down, because uh, afterwards, and when my last year graduated, he became the equipment manager at St. John's University. So during the summers of all my four years, he used to let me in. I would be able to get into the gym. And the only guys that were allowed in the gym were all the St. John's players plus all the NBA players. So I was fortunate over the summers to play against guys like Kevin Joyce, who was a first-round draft pick and a legend. He was the captain of the 72 Olympic team. Dr. J would show up. Lloyd Free would show up. Fly Williams would show up. Billy Pulse would show up. So I played against all those guys during the summer times in pickup games. So it wasn't as intimidating and it was an experience and I got confidence and, and I figured I knew I could play with them. So the net camp was no different. It just, it was in the same gym it was in St. John's, but 
Dr. J was playing a little more serious. He was uh, he was a special, special player. Couldn't shoot great, not a great jump shooter, but oh my God, could he fly? Could yeah. he ever fly? Incredible. Yeah. And that's the beautiful part about basketball. Just, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the university games are great, but sometimes just those open runs and stuff are some of the best memories. You never know oh. who's coming through and you, you get on the right team and you run for a couple hours, you don't lose. You know, uh, you talk a little trash, and those uh, are, there was you know? nothing like it. It's, yeah. and, and that's the the brotherhood. Halifax is an interesting city because we don't have a large black population, but the, the players from North Preston and East Preston and Dartmouth and Halifax, over the years, they had run a black tournament down here, and yep. it was the highlight of my career because although I couldn't play in it, they would all come down in a week, two weeks before the tournament would start. We'd have some of the best, most intense runs. I thought I was back home in New York, and it was, it was just so much fun. And Ontario always sent two or three teams down, and they would come in. And I was doing this until Russ Quackenbush and I were doing this until we were about 40, 45 years old. And every spring, these guys would come down, and they'd be talking smack. And, you know, and Russ was coaching St. Mary's. So we'd have the gym, and they'd all come in and play, and it was and these guys were some, some, there were some good, good, good players that would come down, former CIS players. And it to me, it was the best time of the year. And we Love did it. this for 20, 30 years. Again, it's it, it's unbelievable that the, the talented number of basketball players that have come out of Halifax over mm-hmm. the years, too, you know. When did you know and when were you at peace with just knowing it was time to just kind of move on to the next adventure for yourself? You know what? It, it, it's interesting, but I, I knew pretty well after the, the, the Detroit Pistons camp that I was a, a buck shy in certain areas. Like my defense wasn't great. My ball handling wasn't great. I could shoot at the NBA level, no question about it. But then two years later, after I went back to St. Mary's and, and we won the national championship, it's funny because I I'm, I think I'm only one or two players ever to get drafted in the NBA twice. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, after after my fifth year, we as I mentioned earlier, we had gone down to the states and played Duke, Villanova, and I had uh, I averaged 29 a game I think on that tour, and I hit the last second shot to beat St. Joe's, and I had 39 in Vill- against Villanova, and we lost by one. And uh, the scouts from Portland were there and they watched me. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I was, the year was over. We won the national championship. We went out and I went to Florida with a couple of the players. We just had a ball until, and I'm, I'm uh, down the schoolyard, my old schoolyard, and I'm umpiring a baseball game. And my mother comes running down the schoolyard. You got to get home. You got to get home. I said, Mom, Mom, what's the problem? Dad, all right? Yeah, yeah. Portland's on the phone. I said, Who? Portland. Trailblazers. They just drafted you. I said, they can't. Mom, I'm already been drafted. Yeah. So anyway, I go home and, and I talk to the GM there and he says, hey, Mick, congratulations. We've taken you in the third round of the NBA draft. <laughs> I said, okay. And I wasn't going to say a word. I said, thanks. He said, we'll get in touch with you. Next day in the papers, who is Portland's draft pick, Mickey Fox? Portland's not sure either because they realized I was an illegal pick. I had already been drafted yeah. by the Pistons. So, uh, that was uh, that was quite a story. So <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a Russian Alexander 
Boloff, I think, was the only other guy I think ever drafted twice. But, you know, Portland made a mistake. They That's didn't funny. know. And then when they found out, how old is this guy? Oh, I was 24. We thought he was 21. We thought he played at St. Mary's. He did. He took two years off. Where was he hiding those two years? I was playing senior ball for budget rent-a-car. That's where it was. <laughs> well, this is definitely pre-internet era, hey? Like uh, oh, a quick time. Google search would have helped that. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's good, though. You know, we had former NBA players. A lot of people have gone overseas and just kind of talking about that journey and when they know whether the body is telling them or the mind or the spirit when it's time to just kind of move on and do other things. And you jump into education. You're obviously a great talker. You seem like a very social person, kind of laid back, got that nice demeanor. What was it about becoming a teacher? Just from me selfishly wondering, because I, you know, I'm going into my 19th year and, and love it more and more each year. So what was it yeah. about teaching? Was it just because your wife I, told I, you I you like, needed to get a I job or what? Work, yeah, I always like working with kids. Uh, yeah. Teaching was, uh, you know what? It was something, again, my wife and I took education together mm-hmm. and then she started teaching and I got a job as soon as I finished my education degree, but I hadn't gotten my citizenship or my landed immigrant status, so I couldn't take the job. So again, that's two years later, I went back to school, but once I got it and became a teacher, I really enjoyed it. I taught in a, uh, an inner city school, a public housing type school, and the kids were, you know, two strikes against me before they got out of bed in the morning. So I was there yeah. for 25 years and, and enjoyed it. Uh, and there was a change and and, and stuff. And, uh, Anyway, my last five years of teaching, I wound up doing phys ed, which was absolutely fabulous. That's, you know, between frisbees and baseball and basketball, you name it. It was uh, so, but teaching, it was rewarding. Uh, you know, you, you feel um, my attitude was always, you know, I'd have 22, 23 kids in a classroom. And it was, as I said, it was an inner city school and, and, and you knew you couldn't relate to every single one of them, but you would try and target one or two of them. And at the elementary level, you got them all day long, you know, not yeah. like high school with a movie. So, you know, you try to target one or two kids and hope that you could make a difference in their lives. You know, just a little thing, you know, maybe just becoming your friend, because in the school that I was at, you were not only the teacher. In a lot of cases, you were their big brother, maybe a father, a social worker, anything. The last thing you really were to them were teachers, you know, more to become their friend was more important. And it was more about teaching social skills than worrying whether they knew their timetables. You know, yeah. I mean, that certainly helped, but it was so, yeah, teaching was, was very rewarding. Have you even eaten? Like, you know, just the yeah. little things well, that we just 100%. take for granted, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, it, 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 there's no question about it. That was, that was more as, as I taught with some great people in the teaching profession and they, they tell you the same thing. You know, it, it, you're not walking into a lily white school where kids, you know, I've just had cream of wheat, you know, bacon and eggs, and, and dad dropped them off in the Mercedes. You know, these mm-hmm. kids might have had a, you know, they might have had a stick of pepperoni or a handful of uh, Cheerios before they left the door in the morning. Yeah, we need good people like that in education. Like, did you dabble in the game a little bit? Did you get involved in coaching? Um, I know you were on some boards and committees, but how did you, yeah, yeah. did you still feel yeah, like you had a passion for it? Other than, I, I, I love, other than kicking everybody's ass on the outdoor courts for a bit? Yeah, I, I love the coaching aspect of it. And I coached everything from, uh, you know, I started coaching my kids many. And that's one thing to say, don't coach your own kids. You know, don't coach your own kids. Let someone else do it. And junior high, I coached high school. High school, I coached uh, university. I was an assistant coach for Ross for a couple of years. I was the uh, 
I was the head coach for uh, St. Mary's women's team in 1976. I coached the women's team. In 76? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A long time ago, huh? Holy smokes, man. <laughs> well, I'm just looking I, at your I, resume. Yeah, and like... I played, you, might, you would recognize these names. I, I coached, uh, we won the AUS title that year, and I coached a girl from D.C. named Carol Turney. Yeah, okay. On, she was on Canada's national team who wound up marrying Billy Luce, who wound up playing at Vic. And Carol okay. was unbelievable. What a great player. And that's Nancy it. Knowlton, another girl. So we had a good team. So I wound up coaching one year of women's and, and enjoyed it. Uh, and then uh, kind of got into the high school and coached a couple of high school, different levels. And uh, in 19, I'm going to say 91, uh, the WBL came to Halifax, the World Basketball League, 6'5 and under. I remember that. And uh, they, uh, Ian McMillan was the head coach, and uh, he asked me to be his assistant, and I did. And it was a great experience for a year. And uh, he didn't make it, unfortunately, through the whole year. They fired him, and I took over the job. So I wound up coaching professional for two and a half years, two, yeah, until the league folded. And that was quite an experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it no was, uh, yeah. So coaching is uh, something I'd love to do. I remember uh, it was and one of the coaches, uh, he had coached the Calgary 88s, and I heard him saying, he says, yeah, that Mickey Fox is an unbelievable coach only if he knew his X's and O's. <laughs> so I wasn't big on plays and stuff. Get out there and play hard. So. Amazing. Amazing. And what does Mickey Fox find himself doing now? Beautiful summer, all the time in the world now. What 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 keeps you going? Well, the, I got my Monarchs oh. baseball oh, yeah, shirt on. You, so, got, so, uh, you got an 82-game baseball schedule. Yeah, so got, there's that. Yeah. Play, play a little bit of golf. Shout uh, out to the Monarchs. Course. Uh, yeah, Nova Scotia Monarchs uh, playing baseball. We practice twice a week and probably play three games a week. So that that keeps me going. Uh, I have five grandkids, so uh, they keep me busy as Enough well. Enough said and, there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and three beautiful children that are now adults and uh, all over the countryside, North America, one in Ottawa, one in Boston, and one here in Halifax. So nice. doing a little visiting and traveling and uh, when we can in this time. So. Good. So life is good. You re can we do some fun questions and put you through the ringer before we let you go? You sure can. All right, I don't man. know if they'll be fun, but it's go all, ahead. It's all good. <laughs> you know, now being a dual citizen, you've been in Canada long enough. Maybe, I don't know if the East Coast has picked up on this thing, but how, what are your thoughts about having ketchup on your macaroni? <laughs> I uh, ketchup on hamburger only. Love mac and cheese, hamburger only ketchup. No hot dog. No hot dog. That would be Coney yeah. Island. They you, they'd shoot they'd throw you, you off. Yeah. mustard. <laughs> you could have sauerkraut. We used to call them dirty water dogs because they sat in boiling water for about eight hours and yeah. then they'd sell yeah. them to you. But no no ketchup. <laughs> There it is, Paul Eberhart. Mickey Fox is anti-ketchup. There's a coach out here who threatens my life every time I post a picture of ketchup on a hot dog. He is, he thinks I'm a sick individual for that, and he says mustard only, so there you go. Who have been some of the most important people in your life? Uh, my dad, far and beyond, taught me everything about sports and just a, just a fabulous guy. He's 95 years old now and still wits about him, but no, he was the uh, biggest inspiration in my life for sure. Love it. Okay. 
who do you, now you've seen a lot, played against a lot, been through a lot, you've seen a lot of different generations of basketball players. Who do you think's the greatest basketball player of all time? Uh, oh, man. You know what? Break it down how you want. Break it down how you want. New York City guy. Uh, you know, obviously the, the, the answers of LeBron, Michael, no question about it. But Kareem's every bit up there. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable player. And uh, he's, you know, that skyhook will never be duplicated. So obviously Michael Jordan, but I'm going to, I'm going to, my vote goes to Kareem. Love it. Luau Cinder. Well done. Got to stay loyal. Look at you. <laughs> okay. We have a lot of people that like chips on this show. Um, if you get a little bit munchy, you're sitting on the deck enjoying a nice summer evening, maybe a beer or wine or water, whatever it is, and you, you grab a bag of chips. Corona. What? Oh, he's out there. He is. <laughs> what? Uh, you should have been having that the whole time, man. It's taking you uh, almost 48 minutes to have a sip. Jeez, I feel bad. Well, I just, you know, if there's young kids watch, I don't want to. Oh, don't worry. They, don't, they won't see your face. They just hear, they'll just hear your voice. It's all good. Okay. No, one, no one wants to see this mug right here. We don't, <laughs> we don't allow my face on screen. I hear you. So if you get a bag of chips, what bag of chips are you getting? Or the grandkids want some chips? You wouldn't know this one, Wise. Okay, what is it? Wise is it, potato chips. The American? Oh yes. Like W I Z E? Is there a funky? W I S E. Wise chips. Okay, is there a flavor? Do we have a flavor here, or is no, it no? They never just salted chips. Wow. See, the roots are coming back, and all these the answers. Roots are coming back. I love it. I love it. Just straight Wise salt, potato- huh? Do you ever have those big soft pretzels too? They used to sell outside the garden. Okay. Yeah. All right. There we go. Oh, here they are. Wise chips. Okay. Next time you got to get a couple and ship them out west. I wouldn't. I wouldn't lie to you. Yeah. No, I know you wouldn't. <laughs> Who are some of the greatest players you've ever played with or against? That come to your mind. Wow. Well, I can remember playing in a three-on-three tournament in in. Uh, Laguna Beach in Carol, South uh, Southern California, and the, and the starting lineup we played against was Stan Love, Mark Eaton, and, and Swen Nader. Wow! And we lost fifteen to two and fifteen dunks. Uh, you know what? I, I, I'll stick with uh, I'll stick with the CIS players and guys like uh, I don't know, Mike Hazard. I thought was an unbelievable player. He was player of the year one year. Charlie Wise was a great player who played at Laurentian. I'm brain dead here. Kid from Brandy, John Carson. John Carson. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, John Gallinor, Lee Thomas, my boys, and uh, Kevin Woodworth, unbelievable players. And obviously, Eli, you know, Martin Ryland. There's just so too many, you know, to mention. There's so many great, great players that were, were in CIS and even in the 70s. And these guys could... These guys could play now and be superstars as well. Love it. Do you like music? Are you a music guy? The Boss. Okay, so the, you get to pick one concert, best seat in the house, you're going Boss? Yeah, I sat on stage when I was 15 years old for Janis Joplin in Forest Hills, Tennis Day. Come on. Does that count? Oh, honey, like you, the only man I ever wanted and I ever needed. Yeah, right on. The, I, I pretended I was a roadie. We charged the stage and they threw everybody else off. And uh, they didn't throw me off, and they just sat on a bench, and they thought I was a roadie. So I watched her play and watched her drink a quart of vodka okay. all over the show. So 
I've I've seen the Beatles and the Stones. I've been fortunate in the music world to. But uh, if I had one concert, I'd want to see again Bruce Springsteen. Ah, my mom, rest in peace. God bless her soul. She's watching down. She's smiling. That yeah. was that's the only way I know the boss is through my mom. I remember we uh, got her the. It was like the four cassette live and we gave her that she almost cried and we had to listen to it for the next six months straight but the boss is the man he he used well obviously a jersey guy but he used to play up when he was just starting out on all the bars on the jersey shore and he was unbelievable even those days that you know 500 seat bar would have 5,000 people crowded outside listening to the boss rock and roll love it absolutely love it do you read much no okay and and usually when after I finish reading, I call her in the pictures. But I've read over probably, I'm going to say, two thousand books in my lifetime. Yep. But all of them were, uh, all of them were grade five. Sea <laughs> dog run or something? No, that's a little low for grade yeah, five. But yeah, yeah, I get you. <laughs> hey there, it's me, Margaret. Hey. No coins, please. You know, no. Every day I'd read to my kids in school and, and my kids at home. So anything over grade five level, no, I don't read. <laughs> Amazing. How are your coloring skills? Did you at least develop that over the years? Mm-hmm. Like, did you, or are you still terrible? No, my color, my, my kids got all the autistic talent. I have none. I can stay within the lines, but That's some it. are dark, some are lighter. I don't, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big do a good job. I'm a big stick person drawer too. It's my, my four and a half year olds almost got me. Yeah. I hear you. Last question before we let you go, and it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, and thank you for being with us. But um, uh, my pleasure. If you could do it all again, you would what? If I could do it all again, I wouldn't have fouled out in the national championship game with a minute to go to Guelph and lose a national title to Bob Shop and the Guelph Griffins. And Garney Henley was the coach. I still have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> but hey. If that's the one thing that it comes down to, you've lived yourself a pretty blessed life through the game of basketball, I guess, huh? Yeah, it's been great. I have no no complaints. I wouldn't change a thing. Couldn't be happier. Awesome. Any last reflections before we let you go? You've named so many great people. It's so nice to go back and listen to the kind of the generations before us and hear those stories. And, and, and um, you know, I just, it'd be, it would have been so fun to be like a 12-year-old kid in Halifax watching some of those games. Um, but is there any anything else you'd like to say before uh, we let you go? Yeah, just, you know, I, I'm just so proud that I was a part, as I look at the Raptors and, and I look at the, the, the national teams and, and all the great players, I was just so proud to be a part of the start of that type, you know, where, where the kids just started to develop and develop. And I mean, how many, 40 years ago, would you ever thought that, you know, you'd have two number one draft picks? in the NBA from Canada. Yeah, you know, I know, I mean, right? It's come so far, and I just hope it continues to progress, and I, I, I think it will. Yeah. It's, you know, it's hit some uh, some stumbling blocks, and it's hit some roadblocks, but I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just happy to be a part of this great country and the basketball tradition that's growing. Obviously, it's a hockey country, but basketball is knocking on the door, so that's great to see. I agree. I agree, and I'm just waiting for us to crack through I know the women have been have been killing it, but the men are close, and and we just need that group to get together and qualify and and get us on the Olympic map. And and you, you know, some, you got some thoughts some, on that, yeah? Yeah, it's just you know, it's it's a buzzard's luck. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's you know, it's the, the the talent is there, the coaching is there, and it's just I was fortunate about four years ago. I, I did color for the Pan Am Games, 
Okay. And, and I in, in Toronto when they're the you would see and I saw some great young talent. I watched these kids come up and you know what? We are there. We're as good as you know, we're not no one's gonna be as good as the United States. Of course. You know, that's it's but man, we're knocking at the door. Are we a top five team in the world? Yes. Have we proved that we are? No. So, you know, there's an argument there, but I, but I think it's common. I think, you know, you know, the, the, the money is an issue, the funding, but I just think we, we're knocking at the door and we have to keep believing and keep working. And, and, you know, the Andrew Wiggins and all the great young, the Murrays and all the great young players, if they just stick with it and believe it, they're going to be such great role models for younger kids that, that basketball in Canada, is in, it's, it's, it's great. We do have to get over that hump. And I, once we do it, make the Olympics. I think we're, we're laughing from that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Episode 70 with an absolute legend. Mr. Fox, thanks for being with us on A Hoops Journey. Hey, my pleasure. Take care. Shout out to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. This is one for the ages. We'll see you on the next episode.